There are certain ordinances and principles in the restored gospel that were revealed by the early leaders of the LDS Church that are no longer practiced or even remembered within the church. Some of those practices are the principles of rebaptism and baptisms for health. Today, I have Benjamin Winfield back on the podcast. Now, you might remember Ben from a previous episode where we discussed his TikTok channel, 1889 Mormonism. Today, Ben breaks down the history of these principles and practices, why they were abandoned by the LDS Church, and how these ordinances can be one more way that we as Mormons can strengthen our connection with our Father and our Savior. That's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. There is no doubt as a general rule Mormons are a real social people, and there's no better place to connect with other people than at conferences devoted to Mormonism. With that said, there's one coming up that I can't recommend highly enough, and that is the Restoration Torah Conference. It is happening this year on May 26th and 27th in Linden, Utah. Many speakers you'll hear there have been on this podcast. They include Jacob Vadreen, Hannah Stoddard, Taylor Smith, Joshua Erickson, Kimberly Smith, myself, and more. Go to restorationtorahconference.org or click on the link in this episode page notes to find out how you can attend. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Ben, how's it going, man? Oh, good. Good? Everything rocking good out there in Indiana? Yeah. No tornadoes? Uh, no, actually, we did have one um, like a few weeks ago. So Did you? Yeah. Yeah, there was like... I had to like... I was locked down in a Walmart for like a half hour. It was, it was a little bit crazy. So after that, <laughs> and, and this will tell you how I feel about Walmart. Now that you've done that, would you rather be locked down in a Walmart or really think long and hard about outer darkness? Cause I'm not sure there'd be a whole lot of difference. <laughs> There's something, yeah, we were all like crowded, like in the back, you know, um, with a, just a bunch of, random uh strangers like just chilling until we got the the all clear to leave (laughs) dude i'll tell you what so i i imagine being locked down in a walmart and i'm like yeah you know maybe a vasectomy with a spoon wouldn't be so bad so (laughs) but that's but anyway well dude i appreciate you coming back on too bad though good good well i'm glad you guys are staying safe i've only ever been in one tornado and that was enough for me to be like, this is stupid. I'm out of here. Give me some place where that breaks it up. But man, it sounded, I remember we were, I was in Oklahoma doing a job and I was in my hotel room and all of a sudden my, my phone rang like the one in the room, which is weird. Cause who uses that anymore? Everyone's got cell phones, right? I pick right. it up. It's the front desk and they're like downstairs. Now, you know, there's a tornado coming. And so I go downstairs and dude, I, it didn't do any damage to the hotel, but you could hear it downstairs and it sounded like a freight train and went out the next day. And the project we were working on was flattened 
And I'm like, well, I'm going home. I'm cashing that ticket early and I'm, I'm going, <laughs> but man, good on you for being able to weather those. Those are, those are a different beast. Yeah. You know, it wasn't too bad. Some, uh, tree branches. Uh, there was a, in the local park, there was a big tree that went down, but, uh, you know, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. No one's houses got, you know, picked up. No wicked witch of the West. We were, we were, we were okay. That's good. That's good. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming back on again. I enjoyed our conversation last time. And uh, as I was thinking and praying about the subject we're going to talk about, which is rebaptism, I was trying to think of guys who I thought had a good grasp on it and who who just feels these doctrines. And, and your name came to mind. So I appreciate you being on. Yeah. I uh I really appreciate that. I'm glad you you thought of me because I uh I've I've got the TikTok, you know, um 1889 Mormonism, if anyone wants to find me there. And uh I was I was just thinking, like, oh, I really need to like kind of walk people through rebaptism, you know. I'm like, how would I do that? And I was kind of like thinking about it. And then and um and then you messaged me like an hour and a half later and you're like, I need someone to talk to me about rebaptism. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess that was the Lord. (laughs) It is, you know, I, we, we shouldn't be surprised when that happens, but when it does, it is still cool. Right. When those, when, when everything syncs up like that, it's just awesome to always see that. So, and, and people don't realize that, that rebaptism is something that was in the church for quite a while. Like this wasn't just a passing fad until they gained greater understanding. This was there kind of from the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, From the beginning, like uh, practiced anciently um, in the, um, in the book of Mormon, you can find rebaptism. You can find some evidence to rebaptism in the Bible too. Um, It's, it's there. And so there's this, kind of when I was coming in the church in the LDS church, and that's kind of where I, I came out of into fundamentalism. Um, there was always this idea whenever you hear about discrepancies between like how the church does things now and how the church did things back then, it's kind of like, well, the brethren, you know, they were doing their best, you know, like they had, they had some things right, but there were other things that just weren't quite clear on until, uh, you know, in the eighties, that's when we figured it out, you know, like, um, <laughs> and, and we laugh about that now, but when I was in the church, that kind of made sense. I was like, oh, okay. That, that must be what it is, you know? Um, and my kind of journey for just from understanding this doctrine is I, you know, I first, I talked about before, like coming across Ogden Kraut when I was a teenager. And, and that's like the first, like I ever heard of like, Oh, you could be rebaptized again. And not like, not just cause you were excommunicated, you know, and that's the only time that the church does it now, which side note, um, they'll excommunicate you now if you do get rebaptized, which would require you to be rebaptized in order to repent <laughs> of the rebaptism. So, you know, <laughs> anyone wants um, to go that route, the LDS church is okay with it. <laughs> you know, there, there are certain times, like there's this shirt that I have that says Department of Redundancy Department. Right. And sometimes the bigger the organization gets, 
the more those redundancies just seem to crop up out of nowhere, Benjamin. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, uh, but that's, that's it. So don't you get rebaptized or you'll need to be rebaptized to repent of being rebaptized. So you um, said you can find evidences of it in the Book of Mormon? Yeah. Um, yeah, you definitely can. Uh, so um, if you go to like 3rd Nephi, um, in fact, I got uh, you know reference here. Um, we, there's several places where we talks about people getting baptized. So, you know, Nephi talks about how he baptized many people, uh, many believers, and he ordained men unto this ministry. Um, and then uh, a few years later, the destruction of the Nephite nation happens, and um, they went down into the waters and were baptized again. A Nephi. So this is the prophet gets rebaptized after the destruction of their nation as they're kind of waiting for the second coming. And then it says that the elders and teachers and priests were baptized. Well, if you're a priest or a teacher or an elder, you've been baptized. Yeah. And, and what chapter is that in? Uh, so you're going to find that uh, in a few different places. Uh, uh, well, third Nephi 19. Uh, is where you're going to see Nephi going and, and getting baptized. And if you look carefully, you'll see it in a few other places. If you go back to um, Alma, you know, when he he starts out, right, where he is a, a priest, one of the wicked priests of, of King Noah, and Abinadi comes to him um, and preaches, and he's the only one who listens. He's the only one who listens and, and goes and repents. And he goes and teaches people what Abinadi taught, and then they go form the Church of Christ. And it's kind of hinted, I think, in the Book of Mormon that um, the Alma was le legitimately a priest. He was just wicked. Sure. And so he goes to the waters of Mormon, and they're baptizing people. And he goes... And it, it records that he he brings someone down into the waters to baptize them, but he goes down into the water with that person, um, and they come out together. But he only did that for the first person that he baptized. Whoa! And so I think in this instance, where it's kind of a unique case because you would normally need someone else to be rebaptized to rebaptize you. But where he did hold the priesthood and there really wasn't someone else to administer to him. Um, and he was, he had repented of his sins. Uh, he was given that opportunity to um, essentially rebaptize himself. And that looks like a unique case. I don't think we see anything else in the scriptures where that happens. Um, but with Alma, he, that was a, a kind of a rebaptism. Wow. And yeah, so I mean it goes back further than just the beginnings of the restoration. This this is obviously scriptural, right? I mean, we can find evidences of it in the scriptures. Yeah. And if you go to the New Testament, um you've got the apostle Paul, there's a story in Acts, um in Acts 19 where he comes across people who were baptized and they're like, "Well, we were baptized according to to John's baptism." And Paul says, "Well, have you received the Holy Ghost since you were baptized? No one ever told us about a Holy Ghost. We're not really sure. And uh, and Paul's like, okay, let's get you baptized again. 
Hmm. Um, so that they could be confirmed. And we're kind of assuming that that baptism of John is a reference to John the Baptist. Right. Was acting in with the authority of the Aaronic priesthood. And therefore he didn't have the authority to lay, lay on hands um, for the, the gift of the Holy ghost for confirmation. So he was just baptizing people for remission of their sins. And these people, this was a group of people that the Apostle Paul comes in contact with, uh, who had been baptized before. It's like, well, you need to be baptized again. And then in the the Book of Revelation, there's kind of a reference, and people might argue with this one, but I do think that it's a, a reference. Um, you know, John is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, uh, "Remember." Therefore, from whence thou art fallen. So he's calling them to repentance, and he says, And repent, do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Um, so that's in the book of Revelations. And so he's saying, "Go Well, what, what are the first works? What are the first works of the gospel? Uh, repentance, faith, baptism, and gift of the Holy Ghost, right? Right. So... John is writing to a branch of the church that had, you know, fallen into sin and doing a lot of things they shouldn't. And he's saying, go back and do the first works again. Mm. Like, you guys got, got lost. You need to go back and do the first. You, he's telling them, I think, though it's not explicit. I think he's telling them, you go need to be rebaptized. You guys have uh, been doing wrong. You need to start over again. Wow. Dude, that's so... Like I've never picked that up, and and it's funny what what you you miss in the scripture sometimes by not paying attention a little bit more, which I'm completely guilty of. Like there's times I'm reading my scriptures and I'm like, I could sure go for a pizza, right, or you know something like that. So yeah, it's I think it just lends credence yeah. too that, you know, like I never would have spotted that had I not talked to you. I think it also lends credence to this idea of gathering with other people is is a good thing, right? Being able to bounce ideas off one another because your perspective isn't mine and you're going to see things that I don't and I can benefit from that. Yeah, you know, and and I, as I kind of like look back just on like my experience with it, you know, I, I had uh, heard about rebaptism when I was a teenager and I kind of got thinking about it cause I was like preparing to serve a mission for the, the church. And I thought, well, shoot, I got baptized when I was eight. I hadn't done anything wrong then. Like basically all of my sins have been after I got baptized, <laughs> you know, like every stupid thing I've done was like, after I got baptized, I feel like, you know, shouldn't I be baptized again, you know, before I go on my mission, that just kind of like felt like the right thing. But then, uh, you know, of course, like not really having enough understanding at the time, I just kind of brushed that aside and thought, well, I guess like we don't do that anymore. So I'll just like repent and ask for forgiveness and kind of move on. Um, but that was sort of like in my head. I'm like, well, it kind of seems like I ought to also be rebaptized, you know? Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, that's awesome yeah. that it can be found in the scriptures like that, because now now we've moved into a different realm from just the restoration to antiquity, right? I mean, now we're we're dealing with stuff much older and much closer to the Savior. 
Yeah, this was a this was an ancient practice. Uh, this happened, you know, wherever we see the gospel anciently, um, rebaptism was a part of it. Um, and if you look at the pioneers, there were a lot of different reasons why they were rebaptized. I think re repentance of sin um, is so so important. Um, because that's kind of the big one, but other reasons that you'd be rebaptized. Um, Brigham Young had everyone when they immigrated uh, into the into Deseret. As soon as they came in Salt Lake Valley, you need to be rebaptized again. You're baptized before, that's fine. You you need to do it again. Um, so when they immigrated, anytime someone entered into a United Order, they needed to be rebaptized um, before you got married. You should be rebaptized. Um, when you go through the temple to receive your endowments, it under Brigham Young and John Taylor, it was a requirement that you'd be rebaptized before you go and uh, mm. receive your endowments. Wow! So, you know, this happened a lot. You know, other reasons they would do baptism, rebaptisms for healing of the sick. Dude, I just participated in one of those two weeks ago. Oh, and it was my yeah, first. I want to hear from you. It, it was my first one I'd ever done. I didn't know the wording. Fortunately, someone was there to walk me through it. But, mm -hmm. and last week was the first week I, I actually did a, a rebaptism for myself as well. And um, I don't know why, other than just timing and just things not working out. But I was rebaptized, and then my wife, who had to go in for neck surgery on Monday, that the following Monday, she wanted to be rebaptized for health. And I was like, ooh, I've never seen this done, but I'll figure it out. And like I said, fortunately, there was a great guy there, the, uh, the same guy who did the, the podcast with me on Temple Changes. Okay. He was there, and he could walk me through it. And it's not, you know, it's not that much different. It's almost like... Um, a normal baptism, and then halfway through the wording, you stop and say, you know, so that such and such might be healed and, and whatnot, and then bapti the baptism happens, and it was such an awesome feeling to not only have the opportunity to be rebaptized, but to be able to perform that for my wife was just, I mean, it was... It was awesome. I don't know how else to explain it. I'm trying to put words to it, and I'm just drawing a blank because the yeah. feelings, the words don't do justice to the feelings. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, and that that should be a blessing and a privilege that's available to to believers. Yeah, um, this isn't you know for me like rebaptism isn't one of these like it's not the Adam God doctrine. It's not. Um, it's not celestial plural marriage. It's not this like really meaty, difficult concept. This should be just a part of our regular gospel living, you know, just right. this should be something that's available to, to all of us. Um, and it's heartbreaking to see the church forsake something. So, so elegant and so simple and so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, and, and this was something I wasn't prepared for. 
there's a richness there that happens when when you go through that again and you come out of the font and you're like, I'm good. Now, in my case, where I'm really flawed, I'm good up until someone cuts me off in traffic and then I lose it. But go back to it again. Right. <laughs> exactly. But but the, for that whole weekend, man, it was just it was awesome. And I can still feel it even now. Right. Where it's just like uh, it's just that recommitment. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, yeah. it, it's awesome. It's like when you miss a couple of days of lifting at the gym and then you go back and you just get a good one in, it's kind of that feeling like, okay, I'm back on track. I'm back with doing what I'm supposed to. And it absolutely changes kind of your outlook and, and how you want to go forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's huge. And that's something that, uh, that ought to be available to us, you know, and I, uh, another thing that kind of came to mind, I was thinking about um, when I was uh, a missionary for the LDS church, we taught a family and uh, the, the woman had been a completely inactive member of the church. Uh, she'd been baptized when she was like 12 or 13 and then her family went inactive and she did too. And, um, and then she married a man who wasn't a member of the church, but years later they've got kids and they're kind of interested in, um, coming back to church. And so we teach them and it was really great experience. Like they're really excited, um, about coming to church and reading the scriptures and, and it's just this really great experience. And, and we challenge him to be baptized the the husband and he's like oh yeah like i want to be baptized like and he so he's excited and then his wife says well i want to be baptized <laughs> and and it's sad looking back but in my ignorance um i had to say well no you you can't be baptized you were baptized when when you're a kid and uh and she's like well yeah but i didn't know anything when i was a kid <laughs> like oh. i was I just did it because my parents did. I'm like, now I actually understand the gospel. I I want to choose it. I want to I want to be baptized because I actually have an understanding. Um, and we're like, well, you know. And she's like, and on top of that, like everything I shouldn't have done was like afterwards. And I was like, well, you know, you can go if you feel bad about something, you can go confess to the bishop. But uh, you know, just repent and 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 you're good. And even at the time it didn't feel right, but there wasn't anything else that I could really offer. Right. Her, you know? Yeah. Cause you're constrained by that piece of Holy writ known as the handbook. So, right. I mean, you can't, you can't go against that. I mean, but right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, this, and, and you're right. It's, it's not needy like plural marriage or, Law of Consecration or Adam God Doctrine. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why the mainstream LDS church got away from it. Do you have any reasons on why yeah. they did? So I was thinking about that, you know, and of course, as all fundamentalists, the, our, our first suspect is always Heber J. Grant, because uh, that scoundrel is usually the one who's responsible. 
You know what I find fascinating is that both the church and the government really go off the rails about the same time. And if I'm not mistaken, Woodrow Wilson was president about or at the same time as Heber J. Grant. And uh, yeah, well, I think so. Maybe a little bit before, but yeah. It, but that it's that whole beginning of the progressive era. So uh, I feel like as fundamentalist Mormons, we have two, right? You have Woodrow Wilson on the on the government side and then Heber J. Grant on the church side where you're just like those two. Those two. <laughs> Everything was fine until you guys <laughs> showed up. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we we, we want to, um, and he certainly, uh, I think he did end up putting like the, the final nail in the coffin. But um, if you want to go back to when it was really first, um, they were trying to get rid of it. Uh, it's Wilford uh, Woodruff is the, the man to blame. And I think really? there's a there's an yeah huh. an important lesson here. So um, now, so we look here, and I, I wrote down kind of like a timeline as I was uh, putting some things together of significant events. Um, there is the 1889 revelation that Wilford Woodruff receives, which many members of the church are completely unaware of. Um, I think most fundamentalists have at least heard of it. Uh, but Wilford Woodruff records it in uh, his journal. And uh, essentially, the kind of uh, point of the revelation is the Lord is warning Wilford Woodruff not to make a deal with the enemies of the church. Don't enter, enter into any agreements. Um, trust in me, and, and I can take care of you. I can protect you. Um, but you got to trust in me. And this was received less than a, a year before Wilford Woodruff issues the manifesto. Um, that's in 1890. And then um, we start to, when apostasy happens, it happens uh, kind of in, in groupings. It seems like there's a lot that happens all at once, and then things will be kind of still for a while, and then a lot will happen um, down the road. But the groupings of things that we lost in 1890... <laughs> We uh, have the church rejecting, rejecting plural marriage. Of course, we know it's still going on for quite a while after that, before the church really says, okay, we're serious. Um, but at least publicly, they've, they've quit in 1890. Um, and then in 1894, we see the end of law of adoption ceilings. Wilford Woodruff mm. announces that uh, we shouldn't be doing that anymore um and for anyone who's listening who might not be familiar with that that's just the the practice of uh a convert who comes into the church instead of when they're doing their family history work instead of being sealed to their um their biological parents um they would be adopted um into uh, a faithful home and you may not change your name or have any this wouldn't be a legal thing it'd be a, a spiritual adoption but that's who you would be sealed to and then you would go and seal your righteous ancestors to to you you would adopt them and that's how we're tied back um 
and they changed it in 1894 and they said, no, you got to go the other way around and you got to seal yourself up and seal your ancestors up back to Adam. And uh, for most people, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't and, think so. And uh, so that's a, that's a whole problem, but that, that starts in 1894. And then, and uh, a year later, 1895, uh, we have Wilfred Woodruff make this uh, very interesting um, statement. He says, cease troubling yourselves about who God is, who Adam is, who Christ is, who Jehovah is. For heaven's sake, let these things alone. So Wilfred Woodruff is saying, hey, we should be talking about the Adam-God doctrine. That's you know, what that is. That's 1895. And... Um, in that same conference, uh, the church announces that uh, rebaptisms should be discontinued. Um, now, my understanding is that for a while, they would still allow, if you wanted, to be rebaptized when you received your endowments, because uh, people were still. And um, for rebaptisms for healing, those were typically done in the temple mm -hmm. um, and instead of just out in like a river or a creek or wherever you'd, you'd actually go to the temple for that. Um, and they kind of allowed that to keep going. And I think probably what really happened is um, the individual temple presidents just sort of assumed like, ah, that probably doesn't apply to, to this. We've always done this and they just kept doing it. Um, gotcha. But eventually, um, they uh, they say no, we couldn't, we can't do that, and so that's kind of our, our timeline. We have George Q. Cannon makes this statement. He says we hear a good deal of talk about rebaptism, and the first presidency and the twelve have felt that so much rebaptism ought to be stopped. Men, when they commit sin, think if they can only get the bishop to rebaptize them. They are all right, and their sins are condoned. It is a fallacy. It will lead to destruction. There is no such thing in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is repentance from sin that will save you, not rebaptism. So George Q. Cannon uh, says that in 1897. So they're very, wow. very against that. Do you want to compare that to uh, what Brigham Young said about rebaptism? M methinks I do. Yes, please. <laughs> All right. I think you do. <laughs> this is what Brigham Young said. My counsel to them today, as it has been on former occasions, to all who have come into these valleys, go and be baptized for the remission of sins, repenting of all your wanderings from the path of righteousness, believing firmly in the name of Jesus Christ that all your sins will be washed away. If any of you inquire what is the necessity of your being baptized as you have not committed any sins, I answer, it is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. So Brigham Young saying, even if you haven't committed any sins, you come here and you be rebaptized. But it gets a little even more interesting here. I have heard some of you cursing and swearing, even some of the elders. I would be baptized seven times were I in your place. I would not stop teasing some good elder to baptize me again and again 
until I could think my sins are forgiven. I would not live over another night until I was baptized enough to satisfy me that my sins were forgiven. Then go and be confirmed as you were when you first embraced the religion of Jesus. That is my counsel. Wow. And that's uh, from the Journal of Discourses. What year was that approximately? Does it say? Uh, I did not uh, jot that down. Uh, references Journal of Discourses uh, two, um, eight and nine. I, I'm I'm afraid I don't have the date. That but that would have been uh, that would this have would have been in the 1850s um, or or maybe 1840s uh, at the earliest. At the so earliest, because I think I think the Mormons reached the Salt Lake Valley in 47. 47, right? right? So, yeah. So then the earliest it could have been is late 1840s. Um, right. Right. And so really in the space and, and let's say this, right? I, I can't remember what year Brigham died, but I want to say it was the late 1800s, 1870 or 1880, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, probably the I don't yeah, I think 1870s thereabouts is probably accurate. And we know that Brigham was was pretty tenacious in guarding these doctrines, right? He was not one to just roll over and change his mind if he thought he was right and he received revelation. So you could say he probably went to his deathbed believing that same thing that you just read. Now, from the time he dies, 17 years later. That's all it takes, 17 years, and look at where where they ended up. That's that's a breathtaking amount of time to go from the gospel in its fullness to starting to water it down, to starting to see these things begin to, to go away. And as we were sitting here talking about this, it really is the apostasy almost all over again, except for the fact this time the Lord has said, no, there'll be people around that are going to keep this stuff alive. But yeah. you look at like the Council of Nicaea, right? They change who God is. They go from three separate individuals to the Trinity, right? You look at what what we did as a people. We went from the Adam-God doctrine to the Godhead, right? And in, in, I shouldn't say that's the change, but misidentifying who God is and especially the, the temple endowment Godhead, right? We, we changed the identities completely. And then, you know, you, you start seeing things like practices being denied. And then eventually, I mean, there's some questions about priesthood authority that come up, right? And so it's 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 like replaying itself all over again, with the exception of you got the fundamentalists now who are out there trying to keep these things alive. I just find it's an interesting parallel. Yeah, um, you know, well, and we're some people have said that we're we're promised that the church won't go into apostasy in the last days, and I think it is more accurate to say that we are promised that. The priesthood will not be taken from the earth. Right, right. And those are two completely different things. So so is is that the whole reason that they decided to discontinue it is they felt like it was being misused? Well, that's kind of the reasoning that George Q. Cannon gives, right? Is that, um, you know, he thinks people are trying to be sneaky, 
about it. You know, like I can go out and uh, go partying Saturday night and uh, I'll just get someone to rebaptize me and then I can go bless the sacrament. And we, we've got some experience with that. Like, I don't know, growing up in Utah, I remember, you know, you'd see certain people bless the sacrament and you'd be like, I know what you've been up to earlier in the week and I don't know what you're doing up there, you know? Right. Um, and so I, I, I kind of wonder if that's sort of, the, and, and I follow that logic, you know, like that makes sense that maybe you're not taking it seriously. And I certainly think that if you aren't taking it seriously, um, that is uh, inappropriate and, and a sinful thing, but Brigham Young is so um, powerful there. Um, he's saying, do it, do it again, do it again. If you're struggling with sin and you're trying to repent, get baptized, get, and then do it again, <laughs> you know, do it as many times as you need to, to, to get those sins away from you. Right. Um, and such a different um, uh, viewpoint there. Um, you know, and now the church preaches, uh, totally against it and they they say oh well you know taking the sacrament is the same that renews your 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 covenants um that's not no we take the sacrament to remember christ and um and there is a rededication that happens with that but if you want to be rebaptized you got to go be rebaptized you got to go do it well, and I guess that was going to be my next question, right? And it, to play devil's advocate, this maybe even a little more literally in this for conversation, but um, that was always the some of the justification that I had read was, well, you already take the sacrament, and that renews your baptismal covenants. Um, I'm. What's your response to that? I mean. Um, I, I'm pretty convinced that that um, was something that was used as an excuse for getting rid of um, rebaptism. Is is because I I don't I don't see that being taught by the early brethren of like oh you got to take the sacrament um, to renew your covenants. I'm I I see um, you know and here we can. I can pull out the sacrament yeah. prayers and we can read them. Cause what do they say they do? You know, there you go again, you crazy fundamentalists going right back to the scriptures. Yeah. What do the revelations say? That's a crazy. You know, that's the thing. All right. So we got, um, we've got, Oh God, the eternal father. We ask thee in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ, bless and sanctify this bread to all those uh, souls who take of it. Uh, that they may eat in remembrance of the body and witness unto thee that they are willing to take upon them the name of thy son and always remember him and keep his commandments. Um, so you are promising there. Right. But so you're, what are, what are you, you're taking the sacrament and you are promising that you're going to remember, you're going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You're promising that you're going to take on the name of Christ um, and you're going to keep the commandments. Now we do promise that at baptism. So I don't think that that's 
entirely wrong to associate those two together. Um, but it does not, in fact, say that we're renewing our baptismal covenants. We are making promises, and we should be making these promises frequently. You know, it says that we should gather together often um, to partake of the sacrament. Um, and it also says that we should use wine of our, of our own make, which yep. is overlooked. Yep. I, you know, look, whatever side of that argument someone falls on, whether it renews their covenant, you know, their baptismal covenants or not. This I will say, there is something different when you walk down into those waters again and you're immersed and you come out. There is a different feeling to that, right? Um, And it's something that I know sounds strange to mainstream LDS folks on the surface, but you're really... I, th- I think you're feeling doing yourself a disservice by not being more open to this idea of rebaptism. I mean, there's there's nothing spooky to it. I mean, nothing. Find your local fundamentalist. He'll even keep a secret for you if you feel. That's so right. <laughs> uh, we certainly will. Um, but you know, for me, as I like, kind of like more personally uh, think about this, you know, I had. Um, uh, you know, I've told people that the Adam God doctrine is what made me a fundamentalist um, uh, in my heart, but rebaptism is what made me a fundamentalist in practice. Um, because, and I, I like, I felt that the Lord dragged me kicking and screaming into fundamentalism. Like I didn't, I just wanted to be that normal guy in the church. Nothing special, nothing important, just shows up, does his calling, has a big family, you know, fun to be around. That's it. Um, but like I, as I, I, so everything that came at me, I was just like, well, okay, you know what? Plural marriage, it's a true principle. I see it. And I see that, uh, we probably shouldn't have gotten rid of it, but does that mean that I personally must? Well, I don't know. That's part of the Lord's plan. Maybe, maybe. I, and I, currently, I I am a monogamous, so um, like I can, you can righteously, uh, especially. Well, I should say, <laughs> you can righteously be a monogamist and go forward into the celestial kingdom, um, unless doing so rejects a direction from the Lord to you. If he tells you that you need to enter plural marriage and you reject that, now you're in trouble. But if you haven't been given that opportunity and you believe in your heart, Brigham Young's pretty clear about this, that's good enough. And that can be taken care of at some point in the future. So I reason, okay, maybe I don't need to live plural marriage. Okay, so I don't need to be a fundamentalist. That doesn't have to take me there. Adam God doctrine, I'll just you know, be kind of quiet about it. Maybe I tell my kids, you know, but uh, right, right. I, don't, I don't bring it up in Sunday school. I should still be okay. You know, I don't need to, don't need to be a fundamentalist now. And then it's like rebaptism. And I, I knew, I knew I needed to be rebaptized. There were a few, there were a few times that I just, I felt that 
so so much I need to be baptized. And what for me after um, I I'd, I'd gone through a divorce, and I was kind of picking the pieces up of my life and like looking back, and I and I wanted to be sincere. Like I hear guys, you know, who get divorced and they're like, "Oh, my ex, she was just crazy," you know, and. And I knew that that wasn't accountability, you know? Um, and so I look back and I was like, no, yeah, maybe she did some things she shouldn't have, but I know that some of my actions contributed to that failure. If I, I have to be honest and that is the truth. And, uh, and I wanted to work that out. And I knew that I needed to be rebaptized. I knew there were things that I had done that I couldn't feel right if I couldn't be baptized again but um and i knew that the church wouldn't let me do that and it drove me crazy uh i went i you know i i think i told you before when i was was on here that i uh i traveled out to missouri with uh um to meet some friends there and i felt strongly that i needed to be rebaptized. I, I even said like i think i need to be rebaptized. And then they're like, okay, great, let's do it. And then I just like was stunned and I backed out and I was like, mm, I don't think I can do that actually. And then I drove back to Indiana and it was, it was like a, you know, I don't know if it was a couple months later. I just had from that moment, I just had this like dark cloud following me where mm -hmm. I just knew I wasn't right. And I knew that the Lord had told me to rebate re baptized and, and I hadn't done it. And, and I, one night I prayed, I said, okay, okay, I'll do it. Please don't make me carry all this anymore. And it was like, at that moment, the heavens just kind of lightened up. And, and I just felt like that darkness go away. Even before I got baptized, it was as soon as I said, I'll do it. I'm sorry I ran away. I'll do it. Um, that was when it became clear. And I I called him up and I said, okay, I want to be rebaptized. Re I'm serious about it. <laughs> um, and and I went out there. I was rebaptized um, on Easter weekend of 2020. Okay. And I got to say that is the... Um, that is just one of the most meaningful and important uh, moments of my life. Cause I, I did feel that weight wash off of me and I did feel uh, that. And I tell you, it is, it, it was a hinge point for my life afterwards. Um, it was very um, soon after that I met my wife um, and we got remarried uh, she's about to, in the next uh, couple months here, sometime soon, she's about to give birth to our second daughter. Woohoo! Very excited about this. And, you know, I had gone from, after my divorce, struggling with this deep depression, loneliness, feeling that I had lost my opportunity to have uh, a family and just total darkness. I made that decision. I was rebaptized. Um, 
found the perfect woman, <laughs> um, have this growing family. And it all just started coming really quickly. And I know that it goes to following the savior, whether or not it was scary for me, whether or not I knew what it would mean. I knew I had to do that. And I had tried to run from it so much that when I actually committed and, and did it, it became all the more clear to me that it was the right thing for me to do. And I could see that. And, and, every blessing that I've experienced in my life since then has come as a direct result of the decision to do that on that day. You know, and this is, this is a side note because in my case, it wasn't rebaptism, but I think the Lord puts us in those situations wanting and expecting that we act on the promptings we get. And too often, instead of being diligent and uh, doing what we're supposed to when we're asked, we run. We we fall into the Jonah trap, right? Where we're like, yeah. well, I'll just kind of mosey my way over here and we'll forget about any of this. I really thought that living the gospel would be a lot easier. Right, <laughs> right. And, you know. I shared with you here a few minutes ago before we were recording and I'll share it publicly very soon when I roll out some new stuff. There was a time when, when early on about six months in to this podcast where I was like, maybe the price is too steep. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And I had to wrestle with myself a little bit, not much, a little bit to, keep going but once i committed like nope this is what i was asked to do i'm gonna do it come hell or high water even if it's just me and eight other listeners whatever i'm gonna do this you know it's out of this podcast that i get in touch with with my my wife tanya you know she comes into the family yeah and then it's just been one blessing after another and too often, I think we're scared of the change, right? When it comes right down to it, the Lord asks us to do something and we look at the change and we're like, Ooh, I, I don't want any part of that. That's the unknown. That's spooky. I don't want to do that. And it made me think of another experience I had when we adopted our twins, gosh, over, you know, just over 17 years ago now, um, we had to become foster parents first, even though we already had four kids. We had to be foster parents. So we have to go through parenting classes, being taught by somebody who never had children, which for anyone who hasn't done that, oh, are you missing out on just the most special of experiences? Anyway, one night I'm getting ready to leave and I'm talking to a guy I know who's in the class as well. Uh, we just happened to bump into each other there. And the lady who teaches the class comes up and she says, Hey, we have to go um, get a kid out of some horrible circumstances. And if you guys go with us, cause there's only one cop available, we'll sign your paper and you don't have to come back. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, sign me up. I'll do that. So we go to this house, Benjamin, and it is absolutely horrific it's a horror show um 
there's feces on the walls. There's moldy food everywhere. There is not a lot of food in the house that is good to eat. You can tell these kids are in diapers that they've had on for probably all day long. Unbathed, stinks. Like, I remember walking in thinking, I need a tetanus shot when I'm done in here, right? Like, it was that bad. And as they're taking this child, it was the most heart-wrenching thing I ever saw. Despite us telling the child, who was like five years old, not potty trained yet at five, we're going to get put you in some place where there's food and it's safe. They still struggled to stay in that condition. And I thought, that's probably pretty appropriate to how the Lord looks sometimes when he asks us to make changes, right? Whether that's rebaptism or anything else, we'll fight and claw to stay in a situation, even if it's bad, because it's familiar. And I think that's where that faith really has to kick in and, and in order for us to embrace that change a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, when, uh, when I got rebaptized or just after I was talking um, to a friend and, you know, they said that the reason that they came into fundamentalism is they, they realized you know, they said that they realized that the church um, wasn't secretly doing the right thing. You know, like he, he kind of thought like, well, maybe they're teaching the higher things of the kingdom, but they're just kind of doing it in a way that most people won't notice, you know. And so he kept just trying to like hyper analyze every conference talk to like figure it out and then he just after a while that realized like nope that's that's not what's happening and then you know he said that he connected the joseph smith saying you can't change the ordinances the church changing the ordinances and said all right i need to i need to go elsewhere to seek the fullness of the gospel and i told him you know um i was looking for the basics of the gospel I wanted faith, repentance, and baptism, and they wouldn't let me have it. <laughs> like they wouldn't let me have baptism, and you know, yeah, I think like uh, you had uh, Christina Rossetti on mm-hmm. uh, a while back, and she mm-hmm. kind of talked about. Uh, there's one thing she said that like stuck with me is uh she said that she has people ask her like how to keep people leaving the church and becoming fundamentalist and her answer was stop excommunicating them <laughs> right you know like, quit kicking them out of the church <laughs> right um and you know this is a you know free piece of advice that no one in the church will ever take let people be rebaptized like if you want to keep people, this is these are basics of the gospel. Yeah, this isn't this isn't the higher things. This isn't the this is like this is the basics. We should be rebaptizing people for remission of their sins. Um, and this was taught by this was taught by the early brethren. This was taught by Joseph Smith. Um, there's evidence that Joseph Smith in Nauvoo. Uh, required the entire church to go be rebaptized. 
Really? Can you explain that? Uh, that um, is a reference um, that I was uh, looking into. So I am. I do apologize, but it was D. Michael Quinn who said that um, he had seen a letter uh, that indicated that Joseph had asked the church to be rebaptized in Abu. So people might fight about that if you want, um, and I, you know, I'm sure we can kind of dig that up but that's as far as i got into it was that um that d michael quinn reference um but we do know uh from the history of the church that uh in the nauvoo temple they were doing baptisms for healing so you know we've got that and you know brigham young said that joseph smith uh told the church that they could be rebaptized. that um Rebaptism is available. And I am one who, if Brigham Young says that Joseph Smith told him something, I believe that Brigham Young is telling the truth about that. And some people don't feel that way, but I do. Um, and so, yeah, this was this was from the pretty early in the Restoration. Uh, we had this. And now that kind of like takes me back. A lot of times we blame the government. Um, and we say like, well, the government made us stop plural marriage. And, and I think that we should probably start saying, um, that instead of saying the government, we should start saying Babylon because it isn't just like the government, like the government didn't make us stop doing rebaptism. They never like the church gave that one away for free. You know, there wasn't any persecution. Um, it's Babylon. And when the church subjected themselves to the government, they were subjecting themselves to Babylon. They were subjecting themselves to uh, the beastly satanic system that runs this world. And the reason that we lost rebaptism isn't because um, the government told the church they had to stop it was because rebaptism is spiritually fortifying it's spiritually strengthening it's purifying and it, it's a tool it's a simple tool that people can use to become closer to god and babylon doesn't want that like that's why like if we're looking at just a spiritual level here that's why rebaptism is taken away that's why all these things get taken away. Um, and that's why, you know, even if people are uncomfortable with poor marriage, um, they feel like they can't do it. It doesn't matter that it was plural marriage that was taken away. It was, it matters that anything at all was taken away. Right. That's what matters because if you can give up anything, you've, you've kind of, it's just a matter of time as to whether or not you've given up everything else. I I couldn't agree more. I think I remember it's funny how my life revolves around you know, or my some of my pivotal moments revolve around the game of football. I remember I was uh it was it was summer and it was, you know, early practicing, right? Two a day kind of things, which I I don't know if they do them anymore. But we had we had two a days and uh just in the heat of the day, 
we were running ladders all the way, all 300 feet, 100 yards, up and back, up and back. And I remember I had this coach. Um, Jerry Lunsford was his name. I mean, he was a short little guy, but he was stout. He was an Oregon logger before he became a teacher. I mean, just looked like he could chew on steel for fun kind of a guy. And I remember as we're, you know, running back and forth out of shape because we've been messing around all summer. He said, if you quit once, it gets easier to quit twice. And then if you quit twice, it's a habit. And I think this applies to anything, including the gospel, right? If you're willing to quit on something once, well, quitting something else isn't so hard the next time around, right? And so I I agree with you. Uh, I think we have to be a little bit fierce in defending these doctrines um, because they do matter. They were revealed by the Lord through Joseph Smith, expounded on by Brigham Young for a reason. And if we just think we know better, we put ourselves into some serious jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a true um, arrogance because you know, and I find this a lot with in discussions about like the Adam God doctrine, where people who haven't really haven't read anything um, insist that oh, it was just this crazy idea that Brigham had the the church they straightened that out, and you know it was just wrong, you know, and, and then I'm like, okay, well, what about the lecture at the veil? Like what about the uh, you know all the and you you go through all this stuff and it's like and they don't really know and I think rebaptism is the same thing you know if you listen to I think even uh, general authority of the church they would just say oh well you know we didn't have as much light and knowledge like they want to just kind of push that under the rug and you know for members of the church for for anyone else. You have to have integrity and you, you can't let people do that to you. You can't just let, you know, okay, well, if it was something they didn't understand, you know, why was Brigham Young so adamant that it was important that we do this? You know, like why did they have it set up for people to do in temples? Why, you know, why did Brigham Young and, and John Taylor require it before we, we receive our endowments? Like why and get answers to those questions. And, you know, a fair warning, there's a good chance they're just going to excommunicate you if you do that um, because they don't have answers to give. Um, but you still have to like stand your ground and you don't just don't just waffle, you know, um, really, this is your salvation you're dealing with. It's worth taking seriously. It's worth like knowing thoroughly and not just going along with whatever kind of sounds good. Absolutely. I, the other thing that, that I would say, and, and this goes back to that lady you talked about, you encountered on your mission. Don't get me wrong. We baptized all of our children when they were eight, right? Yep. And then the ones who came along with us on this fundamentalist journey, we rebaptized them as well. But really, what do you know at eight years old? I mean, yeah. 
don't get me wrong. I've seen determination and commitment out of an eight-year-old, but you're eight, right? And so as time goes along, you're not done maturing, right? And so you're going to make mistakes. You're going to waver somewhat here and there. And so there, this idea of, of, well, it's you did it when you were eight, and that's good enough. I don't know, man. I think as you mature, as you grow, as you make mistakes, you repent. The Lord has given us this great opportunity to go back into the waters of baptism, recommit ourselves, have those sins washed away, and then come out again and go forward. I love those old accounts where um, my wife's family goes quite a ways back in the LDS church. Um, and she uh, she uh, uh, has this one journal, and one of her great, great whatevers talks about it. And he was called as bishop. And he just writes in his journal, was called as bishop today. I desire the waters of rebaptism before I begin my ministry. And I'm like, yeah. And, and, and the weird thing is, Ben, is that as I can remember being in the LDS church and being called into the bishopric or being called as elders quorum president and going, man, wouldn't it be cool if I could just be baptized again and start this whole thing out fresh and, and cleaned up. And I always thought, what a silly idea that is, right? And then lo and behold, I discover fundamentalism. I'm like, oh, well, okay, that's maybe not that silly after all. But I just find it's one of those things that it kind of boggles my mind that it was done away with, right? Because if you're worried about fundamentalism and fundamentalists, there's nothing in there that's really fundamentalist right you're not talking like you said you're not talking about adam god you're not talking about plural marriage you're talking about a baptism yeah yeah like i said there's a i mean you know i i kind of see clearly now and i know that i'm on the path the lord wants me to be on but there was a moment where uh if the church had let me have rebaptism they probably would have kept me for at least quite a bit longer, you know, than, than they did. Um, and uh, yeah, but you know, now when people study these things, they've got to come to us because no one else is doing it. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, as with all ordinances, you should be prayerful. The person you seek to uh, administer those things ought to have authority. They ought to be, a faithful person, you know, you shouldn't just go to, to just anybody. There should be priesthood authority um, and you should be confident about that. But uh, anyone, you know, listening to this who has had those kinds of thoughts that like you and I described, where you've had those moments where maybe you're having kind of a new start to your life, you've moved to a new place, you've gotten married, you've become a parent, you know, there's some way in which you're engaging in something new that is part of the Lord's work for you. And you want to do that with a, a rededication to Christ. Well, rebaptism is that's it serves that purpose. 
for you. And I would encourage anyone who's had those thoughts and those feelings that not to push those away. You know, that's the spirit of the Lord speaking to you and uh, embrace that and ask for direction until you can find someone who can uh, administer that to you. Yeah. And I can bear testimony that when, when, if you're feeling that and you go seeking, you'll find them, you'll find them. Yeah. Right. And, and if you're a Mormon, I'm going to say this, and this this is gonna this is gonna get could get me in some trouble with some folks uh, that aren't fundamentalists, but I'll say it anyway. If you're a Mormon and you're striving to live your religion, you are entitled to blessings as being a citizen in the kingdom of God. And to sell yourself short is a sad, sad thing. Because there are so many blessings to be had through living the restored gospel. You just have to have the desire and the commitment to seek after them to get those things. Because they're out there. And they're life-changing. And they make life sweet. And they're those little moments in life where, where it it just makes all the toil we have to go through as Mormons worthwhile. The, the Lord said, you know, uh, you know, the power of God is made manifest through the ordinances. Partake in that. Go forward with that. Allow yourself to taste that. Because the fruit of it is sweet. Yeah, it is. Um, and I was trying to find out as you were... Speaking, I was looking for a reference, but because um, it had escaped me, I know I was looking in the, the book of John, but um, Christ um, speaks uh, about the Pharisees and um, he rebukes them and he says, You know, you've hidden the key of knowledge, um, you entered not in yourself, and those who would have entered, you've hindered. And the leaders of the LDS Church are under condemnation uh, for that. They are in that position. They've hidden the key of knowledge, uh, and they haven't entered into them themselves. And those who have tried to, they, they've hindered. They've stood in the, the way of them. Um, and that's not, you know, for, for such a long time, I just sort of, I wasn't aware that there were other people out there. Um, I wasn't aware that priesthood could exist outside the church and i just thought like well i'll just live as much of the gospel as i can you know um but if anyone's out there like it's there you know seek ask uh the lord will lead you you know it, it's it's there for you and if people are denying you what the scriptures are offering you and what the prophet Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and what those, um, you know, early brethren were offering and enjoying someone standing in the way of that. Doesn't matter that they wear fine and costly apparel. Um, it doesn't matter that they have uh, very important titles. It doesn't matter that they have a lot of people giving them money and attention. If they're trying to withhold those things from you, um, you have to look elsewhere and that can be a really hard thing for a lot of people, but like 
that that's just what you have to do and i encourage anyone out there to do it awesome i i think it's important too that that i just mentioned that really outside of of gospel scholars so to speak and and when i say scholars i'm not talking about anybody with letters behind their name right i i feel like that that doesn't doesn't make you a gospel scholar. I'm just talking about people that are really well read on the history. Uh, this is a foreign concept all over again, right? I, I would say that you could probably even go to most state presidents and go, tell me about rebaptism. And he would say exactly what you'd said. He'd be like, well, you haven't been excommunicated, have you? I don't think it's on anybody's radar. So I think we're at a point now where I don't think many people are intentionally withholding it i just don't think most people know about it and that it's out there you know what i mean yeah yeah they, and that's and that's fair um they they haven't dug deep they're they're not aware of it and you know it doesn't take a lot of study you know oh look if go get on uh go get on ogdenkraut.com you know kevin keeps that up um spend spend a few hours on there and then you'll know more about the gospel than your your state president does sure um you know uh people who who want to dig into these things uh, resources are there you know go out and, and find it but you know that was something that i found you know when it kind of came out that i was a fundamentalist and my state president came to you know uh, confirm rumors that were going on about um and asking me questions um uh, it it and and I, I i love and respect him if he ever hears this i want him to know that i still love and respect him he's a good man um it just seemed that it didn't take very long until we were out of his depth and he just right. didn't know about the things that we were talking about um and you know, and it, and the answers that he gave when we were talking about plural marriage, um, and he said, "Well, like, the church would have been destroyed if we hadn't given it up." He said that, and I was, I was so like shocked that someone who has faith in God could ever say, right, that you, you know, how, like, how could you say that? Like, if God wants us to do something then he will protect us. And if he doesn't, then, you know, if we really believe in God, we should be willing to face whatever that means too. You know, uh, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were saved by God, but before they went into the furnace, they said, you know, but if he, he has power to save us, but if, if not, we still will not worship you. You know, he's, we still won't do what you want. And, you, we should be willing to face uh, death if necessary. You know, it's too bad we don't have a set of scriptures that maybe has something in it like, I know God gives nothing to the children of men, save he shall prepare a way to do it. I mean, it's really too bad we don't have something like that somewhere stashed in a book that was maybe translated from golden plates. I don't know. Just thoughts <laughs> off the top of my head. We had something like that. We had something and, like that. And on top of that... um, Fundamentalists are still still around. Yeah. The government didn't lick us. We're you know, we're not always in great shape, but we're here. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, you know, so this uh, they wouldn't have destroyed you. Like you just keep going, you know. No. Just, 
Yeah, no, dude, I can't, I can't agree with you more. Um, sometimes I will say, I feel like, and I know other fundamentalists have felt like Rocky right before things get good, right? When he's, you know, right. <laughs> spitting blood in the corner a little bit. <laughs> right, right. But, but we always get back up. Right. We always yeah. get back up. And that's what we got to do. If, if We just have to hold to these things with tenacity and with with love even. Right. That's the other thing I, I I'm. We, we got to hold on to them with love and be approachable a, a little bit. So when people do find out about this, we're we're kind of some folks that can help and not seem so spooky. Yeah, but. But yeah, we're out there. So I got to ask you, what was it like? I want to compare some notes here. So we're going to veer off topic for just a second. When when it came out, you were a fundamentalist. What was it like inside your ward? Did you get people calling you? Well, no, I was in a bit of a strange situation. Um and if it's too personal, you don't have to share. Oh no, it's okay. Um, I was I was already sort of a social outcast. Okay. By the time um, you know that that happened, so um, because of where I live, um, the wards and stakes are geographically very large. In order to get as many people to into a ward to actually mm-hmm. do stuff. There's just not a lot of church members out here. Um, and as a consequence of that, you know, after my divorce, I said, well, I'm going to stay near where um, my ex-wife lives so that I can still be interacting with my sons frequently. Um, and as a consequence of that, I'm in the same ward as my ex-wife. And the ward was already pretty uncomfortable with that. And they had all, you know, they're like, Eh, this is weird for us <laughs> and <laughs> so they kind of went with the like single mom you know that's a safe bet she's the old stake president's daughter we're just gonna stick with that that's probably you're you know you got a beard you look kind of weird we're just gonna we're gonna go with her and, <laughs> uh, so I, I tell people she got the church and the divorce you know so um <laughs> It's just sort of, how, how uh, it dude. I'll tell you what. When so I live in the same neighborhood I do did when I left the church when I said no more. Okay, and I was in a pretty high calling. I won't say which one because I, I want to be gentle, but it did cause some ripples, right? So when I go in and I'm like, "Hey, I'm out," the first thing my leader tells me is. Is it because you're struggling with how the church treats homosexuals? And I'm like, <laughs> nope. He's like, he's like, oh, um, brother Sanders, have you uh, have you cheated on your wife? And I was like, nope. And he's like, um, brother Sanders, have you found some disturbing information? And I was like, I found disturbing information about a decade ago. That's not it. <laughs> And so I basically go through my my spiel of I think you've went too far, right? You you've crossed a line from my point of view that you can't really come back from. And this was at when they changed the temple ordinance in 2019. And I said, I'm done. 
you know, before I, I could do some mental gymnastics, it hurt, but I could do, I could stretch that far, but I, I feel like my stretching is done. Thanks. Thanks for playing. I'm out. And so immediately I have this nice guy in my ward and he was a super nice guy. He comes over and he's like, what's wrong? And he's actually the guy who later filled my position. And I was like, well, they changed this and they changed that and they changed this. And I was kind of willing to live with that, but then they changed this and there's no way I can come back from that. And he's like, so you don't have a problem with Brigham, Brigham, Brigham Young's racism. I was like, Nope. He's like, you don't have a problem with the church's history and plural marriage. I'm like, Nope. In a way, but not how you're thinking. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And he just leans back. He's like, you're a fundamentalist. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think I am. You're right. I am. Seems that way. Yeah. And he goes, oh, okay. And dude, after that, I am like persona non grata. It is like, yeah. you do not talk to that dude. And it's been funny because in some ways, I mean, I still reach out to people. I still have people on the podcast who are LDS. I love a lot. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I, I love people in the church. I really do. And and I don't have a major axe to grind, but I did find it funny that they were way more willing to reach out to someone who didn't believe in anything as opposed to, to me. I was, you know, I think guys like you and I are the worst kind of apostates, right? Yeah. Because if, if knowledge is power, it also is contagious. And so that's the sort of thing that, that, that I think is most threatening of all. Yeah. You know, um, it's true. And there's just kind of this sense that, uh, you know, we need to like stay away from you guys. Like there's something like, we'll we'll catch what you've got. And, you know, sometimes I wonder like, you know, another thing is like when I got excommunicated, it was, uh, not long after um, that whole um, shoot, what was the Hulu show uh, about the under the banner of heaven? Yeah. Okay. So that was like going on. Right. And that was in the news. And so my stake president was like, uh, um, you know, not like totally sure he wanted to excommunicate me. Like he was like, they're like, and this, I, I like, he was like trying to like hang on. He's like, well, you know, like if we kick him out, then, you know, like maybe if we stick around, we can get him to see reason and come around, you know? And, and I was like, all right, well, you know, let me know what you want to do. <laughs> um, and he's like, well, I got to talk to the, the area 70 and, you know, I don't know how that conversation went, but he came back and it was, uh, nope, you, you got to get rid of this guy. And, and I, I thought about it and I was like, you know, I wonder if it's just like, I wonder if the 70 was like scared that like, what if this guy does something crazy five years from mm-hmm. now? And we, we want to be able to say that he wasn't one of ours, you know? Right. Um, and cause that's the, you know, I, I wanted, cause that's kind of like what they were all doing when the Hulu show came out, they were like, Hey, just so you guys know, these weren't our people, you know, like 
we had nothing to do with that. Um, we kicked them out, you know? And I, and I think like, there's that just like mindset of like, well, we don't want anything to look bad. And so if he's associated with that, you know, cause they, what are they, they don't know anything. They think like, um, so then we just want to, if he does something crazy, we want to be able to say like, it wasn't, wasn't our guy. So I'll share, I'll share one more story here. And uh, <laughs> this happened just a few months ago when Tanya joined the family. Yeah. I got a guy across the street who's a, uh, a member of the bishopric. And he came over and he's like, hey, uh, I see there's another car in your parking lot. And I was like, sure is. And he's <laughs> like, he's like, oh, who is she? I was like, just family. And he goes, he goes, what are you doing? And I just thought for a second, like, okay, what do I say? And I know his history. It goes back a little ways. And I just looked at him and I smiled and grinned. And I just said, nothing your ancestors wouldn't be proud of. And I just winked and then walked away. (laughs) So, but you got to take that for what it is. I'm a guy who, who's, whose humor is probably a bit sophomoric and, I really enjoy awkwardness. So I think right. that that lent itself to that, but no. Yeah. I, I, it was, it's been, it's been an interesting ride. I'm super happy now. I'm happier now than, than what I had been the previous, you know, 10 years when I was trying to go back to the LDS church and trying to fit yeah. that box. And, and um, it's never a good sign if you're walking out of church pissed off. And there was a lot of Sundays where I was walking out of there pissed off, not necessarily at anybody in particular. Cause you know, again, I I don't think the stuff that we talk about on this podcast and we talk about as fundamentalists are, are well known. So I don't place any blame at leaders feet or anything like that. I just think there were some decisions made in the past that have been ramifications, but when you hear something that you know, that's not right, historically or doctrinally and you can't say anything that's frustrating yeah well you know the way i go about it is obviously you know you don't want to judge like an individual person mm-hmm. um and so i don't you know like I, I don't like oh well this brother elder so-and-so he's he's a rat you know like i don't do that um but uh you know i i think that it is appropriate for us to say look, this is what is being kept from you. And it doesn't have to be. Um, and and at this point, I, I think it's fair you, that uh, it could be out of ignorance. You know, um, it could just be they, they don't know either. You know, like this, you know, they got rid of this 100 years ago. It's not how they were raised. So they don't, you know, it's not how their, how their parents were raised. So they forgot about it. Um, and, and that's fine, but you know, the, the saying that, you know, I've, I've heard that recently that has stuck with me is that, um, when an honest man finds out that he's mistaken, he must either cease to be mistaken or he must cease to be honest. Yeah. Um, and that's when you learn now you're in that position of which is it, which is it going to be? Are you going to stop being mistaken? Or are you going to stop being honest? 
Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a fair assessment. And, and uh, yeah, no, I, that, that's a very fair assessment. I, uh, I know there's been a few guys who have come over to the house since I've left the LDS church. Um, and one of them said, well, what was it? What, 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 what happened? And I was, I'm always, I always give them a choice, right? Sometimes I feel like Morpheus. I'm like, you can have the blue (laughs) pill or you can take the red pill, but understand you take the red pill. There's not really any going back. Right. So which, which one do you want? And I, I leave it up to them before I just start like, well, let's pull off, uh, you know, Journal of Discourses number one. And we'll talk about, you know, we'll re- see what Brother Brigham had to say about Adam coming to Earth with one of his wives, Eve. And then we'll go from there. But, yeah, I always try to try to be like, OK, but you need to know nothing's ever going to be the same after this. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it's an interesting place we find ourselves in as fundamentalists, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I am so much happier doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, the uh, just for me, like just being at peace, you know, just the um, uh, being able to have access to um, those blessings, you know, um, and and you know even for my wife you know we talked about it like her uh being able to go and get a a mother's blessing before giving yeah. birth yeah um, the church doesn't even know that that was an option um and you know it's something that you know she really had uh with our first um she really had a difficult delivery and there was challenges there, but like having had that blessing, like helped uh, give her strength to, to get through it. Um, and I, I wish that, you know, that the sisters knew that, uh, they, that there was so much more for them that they, that they could have as well. You know, I find it interesting that a lot of the, things that that the LDS church are struggling with now fundamentalism has answers to right i mean i remember not this last conference but i think the one before it uh someone was up there talking about heavenly mother right saying you know we don't know a lot about her we know she exists whatever i'm like well if you study the adam god doctrine you'd know a whole <laughs> lot more about her right yeah or you know Women in the priesthood, how does that all work? You just mentioned a mother's blessing. And um, I had on a panel of women in fundamentalism that kind of oh, talked yeah. about I that, know. right? And I'm like, it just dawned on me. We we have a lot of answers, right? We yeah. we really do. And, and some of those answers I think we can give without threatening somebody's um, testimony of, you know, the, the restored gospel and even be able to give them answers and that let them stay in the LDS church. Right. If they so desire, we yeah. just, you know, yeah, I, I, I think we definitely have a part to play. Um, and I definitely think as fundamentalists now we're in a kind of a golden era, one that I think maybe some of the older folks never dreamed would come where a moron could grab a microphone and be like, yep, I'm a fundamentalist. 
and just yeah. start spouting at the lip, right? And not have to worry about reprisal. Well, yeah. And even like the fear of uh, being known to live plural marriage, right? Yeah. Um, there's never been a safer time to be a polygamist than there is now. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't, you know, there's that's, that's never, you know, uh, just don't do, you know, like, uh, I, I heard a, a lawyer say that if you have to commit a crime, just make sure you only commit one crime at a time. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you're way less likely to get caught. You know, like if you, you know, he said, if you have to, if you have to travel with an illegal weapon, Make sure that your your tags aren't expired. Right. Uh, that your driver's license has been renewed. You know, like just pick one crime and just do that one. And so, <laughs> if I'll you say, want to live plural, plural marriage, that that's your crime. That's that's it. You get one. Don't do any of the others, and you're gonna be fine. Yeah, it's funny. You know, the other night, me and. Uh, me and the family were just kind of sitting around the table laughing and having a good time. And we were talking about just kind of the state in the, of the world today. And shocker, I'm going to reveal something. I believe there are differences between men and women. I know that's crazy, but I'm going to stick with that one. But anyway, I, I was like, do you ever find yourself thinking that it's weird that you kind of pine for the old days when the weirdest thing was our marital situation? You know, we're, we're not, you know, now we seem kind of tame compared to everything else. Right. I mean, now we're just flat yeah. boring. So I, yeah. I do, I do find it pretty interesting, but I think that, I think the fact we're blessed living in the time we are, and I do think there are blessings for living today is yeah. that before, I mean, look, I, I've had access to some of the old timers who kept these things alive for us. Right. Yeah. They, they paid a price. Um, we should be grateful. They had skin in the game for sure. You know, they were worried about losing their kids. They did lose kids, right? I mean, their their kids were snatched. I feel like we almost have a responsibility now that we live in this time where we can be a little more open to to be a little more vocal and out front. So it's always scary coming on here, but man, I sure appreciate you being here. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's not that there's no risk, right? Like sometimes there are people who wield power arbitrarily and they're cruel. And so I, so for people who have experienced those kinds of uh, abuses of uh, power, I don't want to belittle, you know, no. what they what they go through and are going through now. Um, but speaking in general terms, um, there's. It, it's never really been easier to live our faith um, than it is now. And the thing that we fight against is um, apathy. Yeah. Like we've got, it's really easy to just play video games and, right. and scroll on, on your phone. And except for TikTok, if you are looking at, at, you know, <laughs> Mormon fundamentalist, eighteen eighty nine. You need to go there. Stay there. Scroll on that. Oh one. yeah, <laughs> Moroni Jessup's well, as well. Yeah, go go yeah. to his. Go to Ben Winfield's. But yeah, no. Other than that, stop scrolling. But those two, you need to scroll on more. So, <laughs> well, and I and and this is I like and I struggle with this as well. Where you know I want to um, relax 
and uh, uh, and there's nothing wrong with a, a little bit of that. You got to keep yourself fresh from time to time. Um, but I, I think that's like our big pull is apathy, you know, just like complacency. Hey, just relax. Everything's fine. You don't have to put in the eff- the extra effort. Things will, you know, and and I think that's like the real danger that most of us face is that just kind of like soft whisper of Satan. Ah, go back to sleep. You don't. There's nothing difficult you got to worry about. You know, take have another beer. Everything's just fine. You know, and I think that's the the big thing that we have to guard ourselves against. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think we're definitely. Like I, I keep hearing about this idea of having, you know, of of another civil war, and I'm like, we're too lazy for another civil war. There's no way we do that. We we don't have enough <laughs> gumption to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, and look, who knows, right? Like, who knows what could happen in the future? But I, I think that right now is mostly a fantasy. Um, yep, that, that people have now that. that 20 years from now, maybe things have changed totally. Um, but, you know, right now, yeah, no, like, shoot, no one is motivated enough to have uh, a civil war right no. now. No, no, no. We're, we're way too preoccupied with Netflix to do that. So, yeah. but. Yeah, and now if uh, the electricity goes down. Oh, then it's chaos. Right. Yeah. Things might change. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah. as it stands, no, you know, no one's uh, people are fat and happy and distracted, and uh, uh, they're not going to do anything unless uh, something interrupts their their calories or their entertainment. Dude, I'll tell you what, I would riot if like brisket was gone. Right, I'm going to war <laughs> at that point. I'm like, load, load up. Let's get the posse together. We're gonna fix this right now. But um, yeah, nope. Well, dude, we've been at it almost two hours. I appreciate you coming on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Let's um, let's do it again before too much longer, too. I enjoy talking to you. Yeah. No, I'd love to. Um, it's it's always a pleasure. I enjoy it. So the only other thing I want to um, bring up, I'm sure you're going to do like an ad or whatever for this, but everyone go and, uh, and donate to uh, Drew Briney and his work with uh, – the annotated dnc dude that uh, is such a worthy a worthy project it really is yeah it's if and look i've i've been broke before um i've even been so broke that i actually probably couldn't come up with five bucks <laughs> to to give to something um and and if someone's in that kind of a condition you know god be with you it, it, it's fine. Don't feel guilty. But uh, pretty much anyone else, you know, like if even if things are tight, you know, like if there's something, if there's some uh, leisure or some uh, indulgence that you can get rid of for uh, a brief period of time to come up with uh, some, you know, stop grabbing snacks at the gas station for a week if you need to, you know, something like that. Um, but do something if you're able and, and if, and I know that not, we're not all broke. Some of us are doing quite well. And if, if that's the case of anyone listening and you, you're doing well, I think you kind of have a responsibility to do a little more than, uh, just a little. So, um, 
donate to that because we need to have a doctrine and covenants that we can give to our kids that isn't going to tell them that their parents are living in sin. You know, Absolutely. We, we need to, we can't be relying on the LDS church anymore for that. Like we need to be able to give them something really valuable. Yeah. And, and my worst fear is that things like 132 go, do go away at some point. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's always a possibility. It wouldn't be the first section out of the doctrine and covenants that's been removed. So yeah. that's, that's a very yeah. real possibility. Yeah. And there's so many, like, look, the John Taylor's 1886 revelation that ought to be in the Doctrine and Covenants. Yep. Um, you know, the revelation we referenced earlier with Wilfred Woodruff um, in 1889, people don't know about these things and they should. And yeah, so just anyone, I just, anyone, if you can come up with only five bucks, then do that. Um, and if you, if you're got the cash, then do a lot more than that. Whatever your person's situation is like help, uh, help Drew make, make that a real thing. I want to, I want to see that be successful. Awesome. I second that as well. All right, dude. Well, it was fun again. Let's not wait too long to do this again. All right. That All right. Good. Bye everybody. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Here's the unfortunate truth right now. As fundamentalists and traditional LDS folks, we can't expect to have accurate history told by others because true history and scholarship is problematic for certain people and organizations. We're going to have to do this work ourselves, and to do that, we'll have to support each other in this kind of work. Now, anybody who's anybody in fundamentalist circles knows who Drew Briney is. He is perhaps the most prolific author within Mormon fundamentalism. Drew's newest project is something I think all Mormons can benefit from. He is in the process of creating an annotated version of the Doctrine and Covenants. Once you have a copy of this, you'll be able to compare current sections with previous versions and also what early LDS leaders had to say about that particular section. As fundamentalists and traditional LDS folks, we are constantly trying to get back into the minds of the early brethren. This project that Drew is engaged in right now is going to be the ultimate tool to help us do that. Now, because this annotated version of the Doctrine and Covenants is such a massive undertaking, Drew needs some help from others. Drew's plan for getting this annotated version of the Doctrine and Covenants out is through crowdfunding. The link for that will be out April 4th. If you want more details sooner, go to Drew's Facebook page and message him from there, and he'll give you all the details. Further, on Saturday, April 8th, I'll be releasing an episode that talks about this project in greater detail. So please, if you feel impressed to do so and have the means, I'd humbly ask that you reach out to Drew and support this project that will help advance the scholarship and true doctrine of the restored gospel. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast.